Thank you for taking the time to listen to our podcast with Pastor Joseph Gibson at Cranberry Community Church. We hope God speaks to your heart through today's message. Uh, We're going to jump right in. Let's pray first, Lord. I thank you for your presence, and I pray, God, that you would just speak in this place. Your word would go forth, open our hearts and our ears. In Jesus' name, uh, amen. Uh, We're going to continue this morning in our series on the Gospel of John. So this past week, uh, I asked you if you're reading along to read chapters 13 and 14. And if you want to continue reading with us this coming week, it's going to be two chapters again, uh, 15 and 16. So last week in the Gospel of John, we talked about the transition out of John 11 into the transition uh, or into chapter uh, 12 of John is this significant moment because it is the transition into the final week of Jesus's life on the earth. John spends 11 chapters on Jesus's first 33 years, nine chapters on his last seven days. So there is this huge emphasis on the last week of Jesus's life on the earth. And today, as we move out of John 12 into John 13, it's another extremely significant moment because it represents the end of Jesus's public ministry on the earth. As we wrap up John chapter 12, uh, we have Jesus's final public teaching. Every teaching that we have from today on, from John 13 to the cross, is in a private setting with his disciples. Now, what does that mean? It means we find, for one, an increased emphasis and focus on the Holy Spirit. And this makes sense because uh, Jesus is going to be going away, but giving the Holy Spirit uh, to, to his disciples for them to follow. So in John 14, he says, I'll ask the Father, and he'll give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. And then he later says, and the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will, will give you, will teach you all things. So he's teaching about the Holy Spirit. We also find uh, from chapter 13 on an increase emphasis uh, actually on uh, there's this sense of distress and even agony that begins to take place and you might not expect that but this is twofold for one Jesus is actually agonizing the cross Uh, he had to do it and he did it for the joy set before him but it was gonna hurt Uh, He embraced humanity, which means he felt every stripe on his back. He felt the crown of thorns on his head, every nail that pierced his body. So there is a a real sense of agony uh, because the cross is a week away. And the second thing, Jesus actually displays agony over the idea that he's going to be leaving his disciples behind. Uh, This is a very real emotion that Jesus deals with, especially in John 17, uh, because these are his best friends. And he actually prays, Father, protect them, keep them safe. And he says, Father, I wish that they could just be with me. This is a a real emotion that Jesus is, is dealing with, with a cross approaching. Thirdly, there is an increased emphasis on leadership. Uh, uh, what true leadership in the kingdom of God looks like. Because for three years, they have been following Jesus, studying Jesus, sitting at his feet and learning from him. But now under the guidance of the Holy Spirit, they are going to be establishing and leading the New Testament church themselves. So there's an increased uh, uh, emphasis on, on leadership. And we actually find this immediately as we step into chapter 13, into the private ministry of Jesus towards his disciples. Now, before we get... To the specifics of this, I want to look at the way that Jesus arrives at these teachings, and he does uh, so through something that I would just call Jesus logic. And what I mean by that is Jesus will begin with an established truth, and then he uses this divine logic that goes beyond human reasoning 
to arrive at a conclusion. And it's a good thing that he doesn't use human logic because human logic fails. Um, I, I mentioned that, that I filled out a, a March Madness bracket. I haven't done that in a few years, but uh, through CBS, you would win a free vacation, a dream vacation, if you come in first place. And I'm actually feeling pretty good about it because right now I'm in eighth place. Oh, yeah. <laughs> no, I missed a couple of digits. Right now, I'm in 1,644,858th place. So I'm feeling really good about this dream vacation <laughs> coming up. But, but I know, I, even though I chose every pick logically, Human logic fails us. So I am thankful that in circumstances that actually matter, uh, God does not respond to my situation according to my own logic, but he knows what is best. Uh, He responds and he recognizes with divine logic. It's actually a fulfillment of Isaiah 55 Um, where God said, my thoughts are not your thoughts and my ways are not your ways. And in verse nine, he says, as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are are above your ways and my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. Now, I want to give you an example of this uh, that we looked at a few weeks ago, but I want to expand on it if that's okay. In John chapter 11, Lazarus is sick and he's on the verge of death. And uh, Mary and Martha are desperate. They send a desperate, desperate plea to Jesus to come help. Uh, They they need his intervention, and they know that Jesus loves Lazarus and that he will respond appropriately. He he will respond accordingly. So John chapter 11, verse 5 says this. They send word to Jesus that Lazarus is sick, and verse 5 says, Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he, and if we stop right there and pretend we don't know the rest of that verse, Human logics here says, Jesus, you have two choices. Your two choices are you can get there as quickly as possible and lay your hands on Lazarus and bring healing to his body. Or option two, you can just speak the words and he'll be healed in that moment. Human logic says Jesus has two options, but Jesus has divine logic. So if we continue that verse, it says, so he stayed where he was for two more days. Now, using our own logic, we would never come to this conclusion. Uh, And Mary and Martha, the Bible tells us, weren't very happy about this conclusion either uh, because it wasn't until after Lazarus had been dead for four days. And after they, they had been in mourning and grieving for four days, that we finally see that Jesus had a reason for what he was doing. Our logic said Jesus' intervention can only look like healing. But Jesus' logic said, I'm not limited to healing. I want a resurrection. And I want to say to you, church, this morning, that, that if you're in a place and you're wondering why God has not responded to a situation in your life in a certain way, and you're saying, God, I've logically thought this through, And I've logically thought of all the ways that you should be responding to my prayer, but you're not doing it. It's because God is not limited to your logic. Perhaps God is saying that that you're trying to limit him to a healing where he wants a resurrection. 
And in your finite mind, all you can see is one or two legitimate responses. And God says, I'm not limited by your finite mind. So, so maybe instead of telling God how we require him to respond to a situation, we should just ask him to move however he wants. And we should say, God, you see my situation. You see my heart. Uh, and I'm asking you to respond in whatever way that brings you the most glory. And help us to trust you in the midst of that. Because as we look at Lazarus, again, human logic said you have to intervene in a certain way and you have to intervene right now. But Jesus had this logic that actually said, I love you so much that I'm going to wait. In fact, the Bible says he loved them so much that he allowed them to experience a season of silence. And he loved them so much that he allowed them to actually experience a season of grief. And the truth is, or there is a truth that we can extract out of the story of Lazarus. And I felt very much impressed on my heart that this was a word that somebody here needs to hear this morning. And that's simply this. Silence does not mean absence. Silence does not mean absence because what we find in this, the midst of this silence and in the midst of the grieving is Jesus was actually there the entire time. And Jesus had a plan in mind and he was working the entire time. He simply works according to the big picture when all we can see is what's in front of our face. So silence does not mean absence. Uh, I think we can see another example of, of this contrast between our own human logic and, and God's divine logic to a degree if we look at the end of the Gospel of Matthew. In Matthew 28, it says that Jesus came to the disciples in verse 18, and he said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, therefore... Now let's pretend again for a minute, a minute that you don't know what comes next. Just using our own human logic here, what would you expect Jesus to say if he says all authority and all power has been given to me? Therefore, um, do you know what the Bible, what it means when it uses the word power? Uh, there are multiple words in the Greek language that it uses for power. Uh, one of them is dunamis, which is where we get the word dynamite from. It's an explosive power. And in fact, in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, it says, you will receive this power when the Holy Spirit uh, comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses all over the earth. You will receive this dynamite, explosive power. Now, church, hear me. Jesus absolutely has that power. But that's not the word he uses here. Uh, when Jesus says here that all power and all authority has been given to me, he uses a Greek word, exousia. I have it on the screen for you, and I love this. I want you to see the definition of the word Jesus uses here. It means the liberty to do whatever one pleases. Jesus says, I have been granted the authority and the power and the liberty in both heaven and on the earth to do whatever I want to do whatever I want. If I want it to happen, I can make it happen. Now let's return to that statement. So, because I have been given the liberty to do whatever I want, what do I want to do with it? Do I want to extinguish every form of evil, evil or wipe away sickness and death or vanquish Satan himself? That day will come. But that's not what Jesus says here. 
He says because he's got his own logic here and because he's been given the liberty to do whatever he wants in heaven, whatever he wants on earth, he says what I have decided to do is send you. Jesus says I, I've decided that what I want to do with this liberty to do whatever I want is involve you in the mission and to bring you into the mission and into the journey. And if you're sitting in this room right now, uh, I want you to, to, to consider that for a moment. Jesus has complete and perfect power and authority and liberty and freedom to do whatever he chooses, to send whoever he chooses. And what he has chosen to do is involve you in the mission. And church, you are not here because no one picked you and you're all that was left. You're here because Jesus had the choice of whoever he wanted. And he said, I choose you. With that liberty, he said, I choose you. Do not belittle the fact that you have been chosen. God chose you not because of your accomplishments or your qualifications. He chose you because you are perfect for the mission and the calling on your life. And maybe logically you're saying, I don't see why. I don't see how he could have chosen me. Thank God we're not dependent on our logic because there's a divine logic that said you are perfect for the call. And at the forefront of your calling, church, always remember the one with perfect authority has called you. Now, finally, we're going to come to this, the, the final contrast between human logic and Jesus' logic. It's in our reading this week. It's in John chapter 13. It begins by saying that Jesus recognized that the time had come for him to leave the world and, and return to the Father. And then we get to verse 3. And it says this, Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So... Now, again, if you know what happens next, pretend you don't. Using our human logic, how do you think this statement would end? As the disciples are listening to this statement, how do, how do they expect it to end when Jesus says, all things have been put under his power so? Because in Psalm 66, it talks about the power of God. It says, he rules forever by his power. And in Jeremiah 10, it says this, uh, God made the earth how? By his power. And it goes on to, to explain just the grandeur of God. So when Jesus is here talking about the power by which God rules forever and established the earth, and he says, that very power has been given to me. So what are you expecting here? There's got to be something big. And then the Bible says this. So he got up from the mill. He took off his outer clothing and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with a towel which was wrapped around him. No, no, no wait a minute. Uh, you recognize that the Father has just placed everything under your power, so this is your response to it? You've been given all the power in the universe, and your response is to take the most humble position you can possibly take. I mean, it's crazy to us, but in their culture, this was unthinkable. Uh, th this was the job of a, a servant, and if you read, Peter even tries to stop him. He says, there's no way that you are washing my feet. You are our Lord. You're not washing my feet. Uh, th there was not a more humiliating position that you could take in their culture than to wash the feet of others. 
And just an interesting side note on here, if you go uh, way back to John chapter 1, uh, John the Baptist makes a statement in verse 27. He says, Jesus is the one who comes after me, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. A lot of scholars and commentators uh, believe that in that culture, it was implied by this statement, the idea of foot washing, because you would only unstrap their sandals for the purpose of foot washing. So uh, a lot of people believe that John was saying, I'm unworthy to even take the lowest position of a servant and wash his feet. And Jesus actually tells him, he says, there's actually more than one reason that I'm doing this. And one of the reasons he says you won't fully understand until later. And the other one he explains to them in the moment uh, in John chapter 13, beginning in verse 12. It says, when he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I've done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that's who I am. And now that I, your teacher and Lord, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. And now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Now remember, in the context of everything that's taking place, Jesus has gone here into a teaching on kingdom leadership. He's just exited public ministry and he's speaking directly to his disciples, the, one who, the ones who would soon establish and lead the New Testament church. So as the leader, their leader, he says, when you are in this place of leadership, this is what leadership looks like. Notice Jesus says, you will be blessed if you do these things. Not if you know these things, not if you have them memorized, not if you teach others about them, but you will be blessed if you do these things, if you lead through humility and service and, and not, not leading through humility and service to work your way up the ladder so that one day you don't have to, but leading that way because that's the foundations of the kingdom of God of how we lead in the kingdom of God. This is the example that Jesus gave, service and humility. Jesus also said, though, that there's an aspect of what's taking place that the, the, the disciples would not understand until a later time. Uh, Renee, you can come if you would. Uh, in John chapter 13, verse 7, uh, Jesus replied, you, you do not realize what I am doing now, but later you will understand. And no, Peter said, you will never wash my feet. And Jesus answered, unless I wash, you have no part with me. He says, you, you won't understand this until later. And throughout the gospel of John, that's typically a reference to the cross. And I believe that's exactly what's taking place here as a reference to the cross. And, and the, it's an image of grace. The book of Hebrews says that we are now cleansed, how? By his blood. And what is happening, in my opinion, uh, is we have two cleansings that are taking place, both of them taking place through un unimaginable acts of humility. Because there was, there was no more humiliating a, a manner to wash someone in life than to bend down and take their shoes off and to wash their feet. The Bible says there is no more humiliating a manner to die than a death on a cross. Now, Philippians chapter 2 verse 8 says that Jesus being found in the appearance as a man humbled himself. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death 
on a cross. And if we go back to Jesus' words to Peter and he says, if you don't receive this cleansing, you have no part in me. And church, you, you can keep the law of Moses all the days of your life. You can work, work, work all day long, all the days of your life. But if you are not cleansed by the blood of Jesus, you have no part in him. And, and Peter's struggle with all of this was the idea that I'm just supposed to sit here and receive. I, I can't do that. You know, Peter, if you read, he was a go-getter. He had to be the guy at the forefront that was, that was working, you know, and, and going at it. And Jesus said, you have to sit here and you have to let me humbly wash your feet. You have to receive. And the truth is, that's one of the hardest things about grace is the idea that you're telling me I don't have to work for it. We've been taught all our lives that you have to work. You have to work for it. And Jesus says that, that, that this is grace. You receive what I've already accomplished. You receive what I pour out in humility. And you receive the cleansing of the blood of the Lamb. Can you stand with me, church?
get some spring this week. Thank you for listening to this week's message. Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast for a new message every single week. And as always, from all of us at Cranberry Community Church, may God bless you.